0: this time on the plutopia podcast jake dunnigan joins us as we explore the future of governance and democracy
1: as much as it is anathema to my values uh the maga wing has shaped the conversation and they are dominating the conversation and they are moving the window over and so that is you know again in a neutral sense leadership and so where is What's, what's the countervailing to that rather than just trying to hold on to the last bits of maybe majority rule you know maybe uh, if you win election you know it, it just feels it feels very desperate on the left to try to hold on against this juggernaut of focus it's not the majority but it is a focused uh, mission driven group of people that have no endpoint other than seizing absolute control over the system and so what do you do it's a it's a the greatest dilemma that we, we've you know, faced, I think, uh, in our lifetimes, for sure, is what do you do when, a, when your opponent does not play by the rules and, and you're trying to hold on to legitimacy and, that, and the other group, the other side is not. I mean, I think that's our death, democracy death spiral at this point.
2: We're here to talk about the future of maybe governance, uh, if we do have a future. Um, I'm going to start... Before we talk to Jake, with a quote that I found on the Institute for the Future uh, site, uh, looking through their Governance Futures Lab section, which is where Jake has done a lot of work. And it's a quote from Larry Lessig. And he says, the corruption of today is in plain sight. The mechanism of its reach is displayed to everyone. It is the simple and pervasive economy of influence that buys access and more through campaign cash. And then, without explicit recognition, the actions of our government are guided by the understanding of how those acts will affect the opportunity to raise money. So, it's kind of all about money, right?
1: Mm. When I wonder, I don't know if there's a date on that. I wonder, I'm guessing probably 50 I, years, 20 I, years. I,
2: Oh, I don't know. It's uh let's see. I can find out for you. It's not I don't think it's that It old, Doesn't really so. matter
1: cuz it's evergreen, but I'm just saying that uh
2: Oh, it's 2010. That, yeah. Yeah, right that's 14 years.
1: The sentiment is not new and the diagnosis of some of the fundamental issues is not new for better or worse.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that we can think about is the difference between politics and governance because right now it's kind of all politics the the politicians especially now they don't necessarily intend to govern when they're elected to office and that's kind of a problem i mean they're not even thinking about public service or governance they're just thinking about probably about enrichment possibly just about celebrity i don't know and i was kind of wondering so so you did uh this governance futures lab project is it still are you still doing anything with it right now
1: oh yeah yeah you know we are uh what you might say is opportunistic about things you know we t- we catch things as they come and we're you know always looking for opportunities to to intervene and right now we're doing a lot of work as we've been doing for the last 6 years with the us conference of mayors so city leaders and uh that that group has been a key part of, uh, our point of intervention. And honestly, my sanity, uh, working with city leaders has been, uh, has been tolerable and it, helped, it gives me faith that there are people that actually care, <laughs> yeah. you know, both parties, you know, that, that are, that, that are a goodwill to actually trying to do, do the right thing. Our national politics is accessible as we know, but there are pockets of hope. Let's put it that way. We'll get into some dark things. Maybe I'm, I'm counter, counter-programming myself to,
0: to say some positive things at the start. Yeah, well, what I'm I hearing uh, on the governance scene is that even the Republican uh, conservative groups have decided that, you know, the national politics is just a mess, and they're concentrating on local elections. You know, local mm-hmm. and state elections are where the power is.
1: I think we're, we're we're finding how powerful those spots are. I mean we saw it in 2020 with election official, officials and you know kind of what we might have called functionaries before holding together the fabric of democracy by by not giving in to some pressure amazingly honestly. I mean these these should be lauded as heroes against the the, the massive amount of pressure that was put on them. But things like School boards, you know, you see the, the craziness with uh, Moms for Liberty and, you know, where where are the points of intervention? I think we're finding there's, it's like a like a shark looking for any vulnerabilities in the system. Trying to find those little.
2: Well, I, think, I think we got used to um, a fairly de-energized far right for a long time. And they were sort of like they couldn't really get traction. They were there. And they were, you know, they were complaining as they complain now, but they didn't really manage to cultivate much of a, a, an audience or a set of uh, fellow travelers. So it was a, a much smaller group, I think. And uh, I I guess this all changed when Donald Trump was elected and energized that whole, like, tribe of people and of course it's there's a lot of diversity in that tribe and factions and so forth Uh, he managed to get them moving kind of in a single direction and uh, there were already people who were pulling levers i mean he was a symptom he wasn't a cause exactly and there were people who were pulling levers to manipulate the system to uh, to push it to the right as far as they could and here we are uh, it's unbalanced, you know. Uh, people may argue that it was unbalanced on the left. I don't think so, but they may have, may argue that it was at one time. Now I think we're you know, we have a concern we have a concern about fascism, really. And I used mm-hmm. to really feel weird if I said the word fascism and if I was actually applying it to the real world, you know, it was like it sounded like an overstatement. It doesn't anymore.
1: No, I don't think so. I think it's a, a pretty fair uh, account of, of a, a, a visible and powerful faction that has captured, you know, the levers of power. Yeah, I think you're right. It was it was marginal. I don't know about numbers, but it was it was kind of marginal. I mean, you have Timothy McVeigh. Uh, you have you have these moments in time historically. I mean. Yeah. I uh, a friend and colleague, Jared Yates Sexton, wrote a book called Midnight Kingdom, and he went back thousand, you know, a couple thousand years, looking at some of the some of the conspiracies and myths and things that came out of the Roman Empire. You know about Christians, and you know how how these same stories keep getting recycled through through time. Uh, you know through the Inquisition or through you know every one of these moments. There's a lot of very very similar things about paranoia about people that want to uh, wrest power from the powerful and so these these spate of of conspiracies and, and kind of paranoid um moments recycle So I mean in, in the long history this is nothing new. I think what's kind of interesting is yeah you're right the, the rebirth of legitimacy of that point of view with Trump I think he was the he was the you yeah, know the, the 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 wedge that that injured the system again and made it somehow legitimate. And that opened the doors to a lot of that stuff that was kind of in this, you know, delegitimized on the margins. And, uh, you know, that has erupted. And I think we're we're dealing with it. But, I, you know, for me, in my point of view, it's it, it it's it's a festering issue. It's a human issue. And that kind of gives you the long view of this. It's not something that's going to go away at the next election. You know, I think we need to think about this as a, as a human struggle. And when you have that kind of point of view, it gives you a little bit of space and it gives you a little bit of maybe. Um, girding your energy for what we're facing, rather than thinking one more election, you know, one more cycle. No, it's it's a it's an ongoing struggle where people are pushing against those that want to consolidate and and dominate people.
0: Yeah, in the past, I've, everyone always looked to uh, Congress for governance for 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 changes to you know that really you know, would help you know the country they would come from that area but that's you know so locked down now by all the disputes that it seems that uh, the justice system is where it's really happening you know the the courts are ha- are are creating our changes really and uh, there doesn't seem to be much that uh, either house of congress can do about these uh, changes like for instance the uh, alabama uh, ruling that frozen embryos are children and I know th- I, I could already. I've t- talked to some financial folks, and they already saw what's going to be the big explosion from that. Is if you're a, a taxpayer in Alabama and you have twenty frozen embryos, can you c- go and on your taxes and claim them as dependents? Because in Absolutely. your local area, those are children. Mm-hmm. That's going to cause a big explosion, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: the uh these are these are little hand grenades I- into our system that we don't even know. I and mean, the people that are ruling don't know the implications of them. Um it's funny you say the judiciary, because my I came out of a program study with a guy named Jim Dater who one of his lines of work was really thinking thinking about uh which branch of government is future oriented, you know, the most future oriented. And Congress is is kind of always sort of retrograde behind the times trying to de- trying to deal with things after they've happened. And the executive branch, you know, has its own limitations as well, but for for him and for a lot of people the judiciary was where real futures were real, real futures thinking happened. You're thinking about consequences of of your decisions. You know, that's that's part and parcel of your decision-making process and so that was the branch that stood out to him, you know, as as the most future-oriented branch of at least our government as it stands. But but it's funny because now we're seeing these sort of retrograde um reactionary kind of decisions coming from the judiciary and if you want to look at where the really where the leverage is to shape the future i think you're right and i th- i think the the Mitch McConnell wing and a lot of the right wing knew that for a long time i think they've they've known that in their bones for a generation and it, this is not the result of of 4 years of putting judges on the supreme court this is really a generational scale thing of, of packing the court with people of ideological you know bents uh that now have cycled through the whole system and yeah the, you know they I grew up in alabama so this this one is very personal to me um and you know living in a white nationalist christian nationalist state basically you know the kind of uh, laboratory of that of that way of being uh uh seeing that play out now on a national scale is it's fairly disturbing, I have to say, from my point of view.
2: Well, and they're not really in sync with where people are in this country, uh, kind of generally speaking. They're—it's not like they represent a minority of of thinking. In fact, there's you know this great cultural pluralism in this country, and there's such a diversity of of beliefs. But I think that more people want to have for instance religious freedom versus religious nationalism then don't and that may work against them at some point the the fact that they're not in sync the other thing is that there's a i could i say that there's a pretty significant number of people who are working the political beat and trying to get into government now who are basically just grifters you know the the ad absurdum example is uh George Santos or Donald Trump you know i mean Donald Trump is really just a transactional he just wants to he just wants to find ways to get money from people uh if he can do it honestly he might do that if it has to be dishonestly he'll ha- absolutely do that but he's really just trying to get money and power and right now i guess he's also trying to avoid prison. You know, if I get elected president, maybe they won't send me to prison. Uh, but I think that, I mean, my hope, I guess, and belief is that is that these are weaknesses. The focus on purely on grift and, and the fact of being kind of out of step with where most people are could be a weakness and not uh, not representing any kind of strength so that eventually this thing starts to implode. But meanwhile, we got a problem on our hands. Does that sound right?
1: Uh, you know, um, that sounds right. If you think that we have a democratic system where the majority is going to win the day, uh, I'm sorry. Now we're going to get in the cynical part of the hour. Uh, no, that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what most people want if you don't care about democracy, if you don't care about legitimately winning elections. If you care about seizing power, I mean this is the the focus of the right wing right now and the sort of MAGA cult wing is they, they are solely focused on power consolidation, not about like you know, the nuances of healthcare or you know, how, how do we you know how do we strengthen international relations or supply chains doesn't excuse me, effing matter when all you care about is consolidating power and you're looking for the weaknesses, you're looking for the levers of power and you don't even have to win an election or, you know, you can seize power and stack the deck in any way you can. Democracy will be OK as long as it works to serve you. And when it doesn't, you're going to throw it out your God is what is white power and, and the money. So when you say, you know, most people don't want it, that is a salve a little bit in a way. Um, but it's not decisive. I mean, we, you know, six, six, seven, eight years ago, we were talking about dreamers getting rights and, you know, how, how far left was the immigration discussion at that point versus what it is now. And building a wall was, was stupid and ridiculous. Biden and the left wing says, "Take it, do what you want. Your your craziest, you know, policy that you want will do it." And they still didn't do it, of course. But look how the look how the that conversation changed. Look how abortion changed. And you know now we're just trying to you know hold on to the scraps of maybe maybe half the states can have some abortion rights. Um, you know maybe we can make an exception for rape in some of those states. Uh, so just just know that the majority of people believing in something and backing something can change very quickly. And, you know, uh, the positive spin is leadership. Where do you want to take people? And the, you know, as much as it is anathema to my values, uh, the MAGA wing has shaped the conversation and they are dominating the conversation and they are moving the window over. And so that is, you know, again, in a neutral sense, leadership. And so where is What's what's the countervailing to that rather than just trying to hold on to the last bits of maybe majority rule, you know, maybe uh, if you win election, you know, it it just feels it feels very desperate on the left to try to hold on against this juggernaut of focus. It's not the majority, but it is a focused uh, mission driven group of people that have no endpoint other than seizing absolute control over the system. And so what do you do? It's a. It's a the greatest dilemma that we we you know faced I think uh, in our lifetimes for sure is what do you do when a when your opponent does not play by the rules and and you're trying to hold on to legitimacy and that and the other group the other side is not I mean I think that's our death, democracy death spiral at this point
2: and and working in strategic foresight what are some of the ways you would approach that problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, how do you? Okay, well, there's like a there's like a war gaming side of this. You, you saw that with with groups like the Transition Integrity Project doing, you know, tabletop gaming of, of what you know what Putin might do or what you know how people might subvert elections. So you try to these are fingers in the dike, as far as I'm concerned. But you got to do that. These are the, these are the urgent things. So that's the kind of urgent moment for for strategic foresight or futures thinking is is hold up hold up the system. For what you want. But if you don't have a vision of why life is better with a democracy versus a Christian nationalist theocracy, it's not going to hold up with the will, the, the unbending will of people that are going to support this kind of fascist authoritarian movement. And so you I think you have we have to have a magnet. We have to have a way to say your, your life is going to be better with democracy. Your life is going to be worse, even the people that are supporting it. You, you know, your your life is actually going to be worse with Mike Johnson calling the shots for this country. Uh, you want you want simple things like IVF. You want to have a baby. Uh, you want your daughter who was raped not to have her rapist baby. <laughs> you know, like these these are the these are the kind of things that you're going to have to accept if you're living in a in a Christian nationalist, white nationalist uh place. So I I think there is a, there's a both an both an immediate hold on to the systems that we want to hold on to, that just keep things together so that it's not absolute civil war and chaos. But then also reiterate in a compelling way why did we build the system? Why did democracy exist? Why is it better than alternatives? And state that case repeatedly. Show people what this living in this future might a better future might be like and why democracy is part of that better future. Uh, that's part, that's a sort of missing part. And there's a lot of people in my world that are talking about that and, you know, trying to do things like that, but that's not part of our mainstream conversation. It's all retrenchment and to hold on to the scraps of what we have. And um, that's not enough. It's part of it, but it's not enough.
0: Yeah. I just wonder if the uh, current uh, Republican party can survive if it continues in this, you know, pretty much uh, civil war that's been going on within the party. If you look at just Texas, uh, I grew up in a Republican household. My dad was in the oil and gas industry. He was very conservative in the old conservative pro-business Republican Party. And, you know, I, I have considerably different beliefs that he had but i look back on what he felt needed to be you know happening in the country and i don't think he would recognize the republican party and especially in texas if you go and look at the way they uh, used to say you, you know smaller government you know let let the the people you know uh, the local governments you know do the important work now you don't want it well it depends on what that government is like you have these places in north texas in the panhandle who are setting up laws that prohibit travel for abortion through their area which is a pretty sketchy you know approach to law but you know they've passed these laws then you have the big metro areas which are more more progressive a lot more liberal leaning and then you've got a governor who says well, the big guys here, the big metro areas can't be doing this stuff, but you can do it if you're out in the rural areas and uh, you're a good Republican uh, county. So I don't see how they can survive continuing with this infighting and this you know, split personality that they've exhibited. I've, I've talked a lot, and I am uh,
1: conscious of – viewers just hearing you know rants constantly but i have i have of course have yeah uh thoughts um yeah i mean i think the republican party that probably our 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 fathers and relatives uh grew up believing in is not it doesn't exist uh you know there's been a there's been a takeover of donald trump and uh certain senators by vladimir putin and that crowd at least that ideology uh, Putin, uh, Trump has then taken over the Republican Party. There is no outside to that. It is loyalty or death. And if you're Liz Cheney or if you're Mitt Romney, you're you're done. So there is no alternative. And you're right; it, it's a split, but it's been, it's over as far as I'm concerned. the the The, the MAGA world is the Republican Party can it survive itself? I mean, you know, I know there's like, uh, you know, here in Texas, maybe, maybe people that are national aren't, aren't seeing the contours of this, but John Cornyn and, um, you know, our, our attorney general and and folks are kind of infighting <clears throat> to a, to a degree that people may not recognize. Uh, but you know, this is a, this is a purge. And I think the, you know, the MAGA right is winning every purge when, when there's a battle. And so that's it. You know, there, there is no Republican Party. It's 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 Trump Putinism. Um, now, can that survive again? This is it. This is the big play. It's it's all or nothing. And, I, you know, I really gravitate to people who get it, who understand that this is all the way, that there is no stopping. There's no internal uh, breaks on this system from those who are they're They're committed. They're committed to power or oblivion and i I hate to be so absolute about it but here we are and i don't i don't think it's wrong you know i think i think the that nobody's going to stop themselves in this in this kind of trajectory there 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 will be uh required to be a a pushback that is going to be really uncomfortable to stop it you know this is and there are people that 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 want uh, they want they want they want the they want the conflagration that ends it all. And, that you know, there's a lot of bloodthirsty people who who want to see a kind of reckoning of one way or the other for this. And, uh, you know, um, so I, I think I think we have to be sober about what we're facing and the direness of the situation, because, uh, you know, if if these if these. Court cases and the felonies uh, d- didn't break the fever, then, you know, that's that's not, you know, I don't I don't know if I don't know if intra-system uh, forces are going to be able to hold it together. You know, I just I just see a very dire thing when it, when Trump's against the wall, he's going to call for violence and there are millions who are going to heed that call. So, um, you know, I think we need to be <laughs> realistic about that scenario. I'm, an, I'm a futurist. So I don't I don't do predictions. I don't say this is inevitable. There are maybe some alternatives. But if you ask me what what the most plausible future is, I think when pushed to the wall, there's going to be a call for violence. And there's going to be a lot of people answering that call. And um, I'm not sure. There's a question
2: of whether there's a question of whether they're they actually have the power and the force to be very effective, you know, if they do get that call to violence. And I'm sure there's people who won't be able to bring themselves to become violent. So I tend to think that it won't be as forceful as maybe Trump, in his mind, thinks it will be. But I don't know. I mean, so we're in the end times now, you know. And I realized the other day that the rapture already happened, but they only took two guys.
1: <laughs> we're in the transition. I don't know, man. We're, you know, we're not yeah, in the end times. There, there will be an after. Whatever happens next, there, there will be an after. And, you know, we've been maybe at the edge of abyss and pulled back. You know, uh, I, I, you know, I I will look at alternatives that that the rule of law and that, you know, maybe things will will hold together as we know them. But I, you know, I, I know that there are there are a healthy number of people that are ready and and and, and pining to do some some nasty stuff.
2: Well, I I realize now, and I only recently came to this realization, I, I'm probably not a, a very good student of history, but I believe that in the lead up to World War II, there was a very strong fascist movement in the United States and that they supported Hitler. And uh, it was sort of like the thing now where you have the MAGA people and they're kind of lining up with Putin, you had people who were like Nazi sympathizers in the U.S., and they were lining up with Hitler, and mm-hmm. they didn't ultimately succeed, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Though I, there is a kind of interesting I think about, a, what was it, The Man in the High Castle, Philip Dick's book, uh, The Alternate History, where where the, uh, the Nazis and, and the Japanese had won the war. The Axis had won the war. And um, uh, I remember when I read that, I started wondering whether maybe they really did win the war.
0: Well, you know, the uh, there was a documentary series on uh, one of the reality TV channels by uh, Bob Bear, who's a retired CIA agent and analyst. And he had a group that was tracking the uh what they call the rat line from germany to south america of uh you know know nazi officials uh uh military you know, uh, 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 equipment and uh, a lot of money apparently and they had a significant presence of the you know of the the basically the, you know, the fourth right is what they wanted to establish in South America. And they came pretty close. And one wonders, you know, how much of that stuff did it manage to migrate up here? Because they were very good at, you know, hiding who they really were.
1: Oh man. I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's recent history. I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up with Confederate flags flying, And the South will rise again. And so the neo-Confederate. So this is the interesting thing, I think, for me, is is these strands of history coming together in this amorphous, almost non-ideological mix of madness. Where you've got uh, kind of neo-Confederates. You've got neo-Nazis and kind of the skinhead groups. You've got Christian nationalists, you know, almost like, you know, Salem Witch Trial folks uh and you've got kind of a basically a mafia rule mentality which i think is where where trump comes from which is just it's family and it's you know loyalty or death it's a weird time where these different strands have come together and they're they're making common cause with each other especially the mafia the mafia wing of the right wing that which i associate with trump and then the christian nationalist wing coming together mike johnson types uh, each finding, you know, each thinking each other the other side is kind of uh, useful idiots. Like we'll we'll use Trump to get, you know, abortion banned, and Trump will use the Christian nationalists to get elected and get power, and so you know, with all these other strands of neo Confederates and 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 fascists and and monarchists and whoever they else uh, are mixed in this crew. So I think that's what's really to me the 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 novel thing and the really interesting thing is this is this amorphous group. Of people that just want power and there's grifters and there's charlatans and there's mafia types and there's you know oligarchs and billionaires and it's just so hard to have a coherent response to because there is not a coherence like okay anti-fascist i get it well no that's part of it but it's also you know uh sort of family oriented la cosa nostra kind of uh mafia thing where we're just going to kind of seize power and give our give give spoils to our friends and then there's like the christian nationalist thing that thinks we're in a holy war you know so it's a it's a very strange mix which i'm i'm hesitant to say but it might be unprecedented that you've got these this this sort of strange brew of folks who just are again are are hell-bent on power and by any means and and the value set is is we're right, and we have to seize power because everything is on the line. And so, when people are desperate like that, and they're and they're true believers, the mafia side is not true believers; they're just power hungry. But the Christian nationalists may be true believers, and so that's a dangerous mix. And uh, I think that's where why we're having a hard time cognitively grasping it and also fighting it.
2: Yeah, the believers in what? It's hard to imagine that. I mean, I don't think of them as actually Christians. That. But- in fact, uh, there was a story circulating not long ago about um, I don't know. There was a guy who had given a, us uh, a talk. A, a preacher gave a talk about the Sermon on the Mount to his congregation, and members of the congregation came up to him afterward and said that they didn't like the talk because he made Christ appear weak. <laughs> And he was just talking about, you know, the Sermon on the Mount as it was, you know, and they felt that that was too weak. So I don't think that they're really Christians in the sense that they follow Christ. They're following something, but I don't think it's, it's uh, any kind of like actual religious teaching or spirit, spiritual following. And maybe to your point, they're just following power.
1: Uh, that's the easy answer and maybe the right answer, but you're yeah, give me, give me a break. Uh, you, I, I don't know what point of history this bifurcated, but people that actually call themselves Christian that follow the teachings of Christ has been a, a, that's a fugitive combination, you know, of, 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 of people that truly believe that, um, you know, it's, we, we want the Punisher or Rambo. We don't want turn the other cheek, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it, yeah. it's, it's control and power and mercy and empathy and, um, honor and not cheating. Those are, those are weaknesses. Those are not strengths. Uh, if you're not, uh, this is, a, a, I told you I grew up in Alabama, so I got, you know, old NASCAR phrases in my head, but if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And so, you know, like an honorable defeat is not a thing anymore and that you know when it when it made it to the nfl i knew that was going to be a a bellwether day and it has there really is no defeat Uh, it's a conspiracy the chiefs won because taylor swift and joe biden engineered it that way so even our even our sports you know which is supposed to be the most you know level set meritocracy whoever's the best wins no there's there's you know there there's machinations behind the scenes. so nothing is real and that's a, a that's a very dangerous situation if people want to accept a fair loss then you don't have a democracy and you probably don't have a society
2: yeah those are screwed up conspiracy theories i have better conspiracy theories for instance i, <laughs> I think i know that aren't they so boring we have now i think putin was conspiring with hamas i think that putin encouraged them to attack israel uh and Every day that I think about it, I'm more convinced that it's correct. It's a conspiracy theory. But I, I think maybe something to it.
1: There are things that happen. I mean, what you know, the the fact that the Catholic Church uh shuffled around pedophiles for decades is an open conspiracy. That's where you know, that's where the, the power is, or you know, um billionaires uh paying off politicians and clarence thomas being paid off by of billionaires for decisions at the at our highest court these are open conspiracies that we all know about but yeah uh hillary clinton yeah. is drinking adrenochrome you know <laughs> that's the one we lash on to <laughs> you know uh it, it kind of twists your mind let's let's say that
2: yeah i um I was just thinking about the the supposed hoax, uh, Russian collusion that Trump colluded with Russia. It's really just obvious that he did. Um, and uh, there's a hoax, but the hoax is that that was a hoax. And it's <laughs> almost too much to handle, you know? I mean, uh, it's hard to know what to believe. And what we, the people that we have depended on to help us through the sense-making process is like journalists, uh, media journalists, and there some of them are doing pretty well, but others are not doing as well. Uh, and the media, uh, the media landscape is so fragmented, and there's so much disinformation pouring into it. Uh, I mean, if we could fix that problem, if we could just fix that, we'd be, we'd have a, we would progress better than we're progressing right now, I think. However, you define progress.
0: Mm.
1: I mean, you know, I think we are at an unusual spot with, um, with, with uh, truth and trustworthiness and legitimacy at, at, at every one of our institutions. But again, I, I, I you know, I, I lean on deep history and we didn't have social media when millions of people in the South thought that sla- slaves are better off living with their masters than being free. You know what I mean? So I, like, I, I just keep going back to these things that these are kind of pernicious worldviews and myths that infect humans and social media can spread those. Uh, they can do it very fast and it's, it's massively effective. And I'm not saying there's not a transformative effect of the media, you know, I mean, fascism rose with radio. Um, you know, there are, there are, there are technologies that are, that are exploited by those who want to do ill will. So I'm not saying it's not, but I am saying it's not, it's not sufficient to tell the story of what's happening. And I think you're right. I think we need, what we call at the institute for the future in some of our work cognitive immunity like we need to build up these this this kind of inoculation or antibodies to the bullshit. uh and and it, it's kind of media agnostic i mean that's something that we need to do all the time we've got ai we've got deep fakes there's going to be another wave i mean we're at the tip of the iceberg how is that going to be weaponized this cycle i'm i'm just you know i wait for every moment that there's going to be some crazy use of that and it's funny that fake news has you know trump usurped that term but that was that was the mechanism for spreading lies to help him by the russian troll farms you know he's like oh it's fake news so immediately when something you know goes into the mix then it's going to just be it's going to be usurped or you know miss misused but i think a broad spectrum cognitive immunity is Our bulwark against this and that, you know, again, it goes it goes beyond history and and media. It's just something that we as humans have to keep cultivating.
0: Well, the hard work, the rise of uh, artificial intelligence and its ability to create new realities or what appear to be realities that had never don't really exist except within these uh, artificial intelligence engines. They've created things like deep fakes. And uh, they faked you know, legitimate uh, famous people and have them saying things they would never say. That's that's become obvious, on especially on what used to be known as Twitter, on X. You know, then they have, they've allowed a lot of this stuff to get circulation. And that's a really scary thing to where you can have any famous person you could, you could bring back Gandhi and have him going, be you a know, pro war. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is, but it's scary. There are people who will believe it because it's on TV. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just watched, uh, Abraham Lincoln's endorsement of Trump live on TV now. I mean, it, you know, yeah, everything's fair game now. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, deep history and these these long connections to some of these ideas, but never with with the powerful tools that we have now. And just the the absolute degrading of truth and reality and legitimacy is unprecedented in that sense. So you, you don't think I mean 2016, 2015, 2016, if Trump's uh, access Hollywood. Tape came out now, he wouldn't say that was just total deep fake. I mean, of course he would, you know, and I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. Like some sort of crazy quote or, you know, um, recording is just claimed to be not truthful. So it's not even the things that are faked, it's that it's that even the real things can now be undermined by just calling it, to call it fake. I didn't really say that, you know. Uh, um, and just roll with it. When you have no norms, when you don't care about truth, uh, then we've now opened the door where, where 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 nothing can be verified to the satisfaction of another.
0: Well, co-
2: so you talked about cognitive immunity and that sort of protects you against the bullshit. And then the other question is how you actually recognize the stuff that's not bullshit. Uh, we had this concept of authority, authoritative sources at one time, but right now... That's iffy from various perspectives. I hear a lot of people knocking the New York Times, for instance, from the left and the right. The right Mm -hmm. says the New York Times is too far to the left. The left says it's too far to the right. Um, Meanwhile, those people, I mean, I think they're still trying to report the news with some degree of objectivity and, and authority and accountability. But at the same time, people just aren't believing them. So part of it is how do we develop this cognitive immunity, and then part of it is how do we establish some kind of authority for for truth. Yeah, I don't expect know. you to have the answer. No, <laughs> and I don't know. If it, I don't know if
1: it's like putting the genie back in the bottle, where we're going to go back to where these institutions have the authority that they used to have. You know, I, I it's something on the other side. As yet unnamed is how how do we find common reality or something that we can agree on to have a society where even even the you know the 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 basic foundational building blocks of reality can can have enough of a common cause or enough of a common understanding to build something together? Um, that's the fear is that we're we're not. I think we're I think we're in a floating situation right now. Where we don't have those, and people want to go back to you know sort of universalist enlightenment uh, ideas. I I I I understand that that feeling. Let's go back to science, or let's go back to you know the objective truth, which was you know rightly critiqued for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, or do we are we all just it's it's all just uh, uh, might makes right, and whoever has the control of power dictates reality. You know, I mean, a lot of Putin's Russia looks very similar to uh, North Korea as a as a broad social hallucination, and a lot of the MAGA world looks like North Korea. It, there's nothing about facts or truth or you know information that will break that belief that the world is out to get Trump and we're part of it and that it's a conspiracy. Rather than you know our whole court system is corrupt, uh, re- you rather believe that that all of our institutions are corrupt, uh, rather than y- the person you believe in is actually guilty of a crime, and you know that is I- I've said it many times. It's a dangerous situation, and I really don't know what's on the other side, and I don't. I just in my gut don't feel like going back to some sort of gatekeeping. We're the ones that arbitrate truth is gonna be decisive in this, but I don't have an answer what's on the other side of having a functional society that doesn't have that either. Um, That's not corrupted by this, you know, the the sort of the the abuse of power that that some will take in that fluidity, they will abuse the system in order to gain more power.
0: Yeah, after the January 6th nightmare, they were able to prosecute, uh, the government was able to prosecute a lot of members of the, you know, the big, uh, you know, alt-right groups, uh, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, those guys sent a lot of people to prison, a lot of, you know, independent, uh, you, know, you know, treasonous people <laughs> were uh, sentenced to various you know, prison or jail terms. And I thought maybe that was, you know, going to be the end of all of those folks, but there are new ones popping up. And if you want to get scared, go to rodofironministries.com. And um, that is. Yeah, you know, tr- <laughs> tr- truly. Uh, I mean, these are folks who think they need to uh, be carrying their guns all the time and beating up on the, the you know, the libs. And it's just, Mm. uh, and they are, you know, defending the January 6th uh, victims, not the ones you'd think. (laughs) The poor people that were put in jail for uh, being, uh, you know, MAGA. The hostages. It is a frightening movement, and there's plenty more just like it. We have them in Mm. Texas all over the place.
1: Uh, 400 million guns is the last thing I saw in this country. Uh, and people that think they have, uh, a, a righteous truth that will justify their violence. You know, it's a it's a it's a very dangerous situation, and the system. Which I I thought like you, there was a moment where I thought maybe maybe the the kind of uh, mainstream legitimacy of the court system and and prosecuting the folks that tried to overthrow our government would would hold but i i don't know and maybe you know there is a number of, of a percentage where it kind of breaks one way or the other and there's also timing you know i I'm, i i i'm a futurist but i also know that history is not some sort of inevitable march there may be a moment where where this you know the mcveigh types break too soon and the backlash goes hard against them um you know i'm honestly surprised there hasn't been more political violence yet uh that we've seen out, out and out political violence so it's about timing you know it's about the narrative that gets crafted after that uh people hated john brown for trying to relieve a slave revolt you know but it also galvanized people against it uh you know what is the story that's going to be told, and and who are the ones pulling the levers of that storytelling? And so, you know, to me, it to me it's so. Uh, if I didn't have a stake in this game, like being a human with children and actually caring about people's lives, really interesting situation where things could could break one way or the other depending on the timing and who 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 does the violence when. You know, for a, for a split second, I thought the Kansas City thing was like a. Like a right wing, you know, anti uh, anti Biden, anti Chiefs, anti Taylor Swift kind of thing, you know. So there's going to be a moment like that where you, you know, it, it may be a high profile thing. It may be like the whole Arab Spring, a fruit vendor in Tunisia that sparks something extremely large. And so you know, almost look for those small moments that are going to explode. And what happens? Where do people fall? Are we are we so far? Have you gone so far that no matter what happens, you're going to you're fighting the civil war for your side? Or is there like, OK, yeah, you're you're 10 to 15 percent of our population. You're the you're the crazy cultist, but you're not the majority. And, um, you know, it's 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 kind of hard to say whether how people will align. I know there's enough now ready to live to kill and die for. The, especially the the sort of Trump Maga side um you know what does that look like is it enough to start a an actual war or is it a little flare up that that flames out their movement and delegitimizes it finally you know uh it's such a fragile (laughs) honestly you know i thought about this on january 6th it's such a fragile balance where it could go either way and people will start to side you know they'll look for the the kind of political wins and where things are going and they'll they'll side with this the thing the side that they think is going to win.
2: Well, I read and we interviewed him recently. Jeff Jarvis, uh, Jeff Jarvis' latest book, uh, actually not his latest book, but uh, a recent book that he wrote. Uh, it was called the uh, Gutenberg parenthesis, and what he's talking about there, and that wasn't uh, uh, an original. Concept with him, but it's something he picked up on. And he wrote a whole history of print, you know, Gutenberg forward. But when he refers to the parenthesis, and I can't remember the name of the person who originally came up with this idea of the parenthesis, but the parenthesis is that before print, you have uh, knowledge and information sort of socialized. It's just trans- transmitted so- socially, it's by word of mouth, really. Uh, they don't really have a much better way to do it. And then print appears, and print brings us a whole era that leads up through the era of mass media. Uh, and that that brings like a uh, modern sense of authority for information, uh the sense of uh uh, well, the political structures that we have, the educational structures we have, so much it depends on this evolution of print as a kind of top-down way to organize and distribute knowledge, and then we get the internet, and that's the when the parentheses closes, and we have a different kind of era where knowledge again is uh, and information is socialized, distributed socially. Uh, Through social media, as we were discussing, and uh, uh, it's a it's kind of a radical change, this many to many uh, communication system Uh, and and this drift away from a top down communication where authority is kind of following established channels. And what I came to believe when I read this and thought about it was uh, I mean, Jeff makes the point that it took hundreds of years for print to have the effect that it had. And the internet's just been with us for like, you know, 30 years, you know, Mm. since it started mainstreaming. So we're kind of still early in the evolution of the internet. And it could be that we're experiencing a kind of culture shock. A transitional period where everything just gets totally screwed up, just because we don't really know how to deal with it. We haven't figured out how to organize ourselves in a way that is productive versus counterproductive, and that maybe the future is in trying to trying to understand how to uh, how to adapt to the information reality that we're in and um uh, and the flow the way that information flows in a way that we don't just get completely whacked out which is kind of the way it feels right now
1: I mean um lots of n- threads to, to pull on that phrase John I mean you were you were born in uh, semi-rural Texas, West Texas. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe at the end of radio and the dawn of TV. I mean, you know, I like to I like to humanize this in a way. Like, what have you seen in your lifetime? The media environments that you yourself, as a human being, uh, have experienced in, in your lifetime. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, we. So when I was a kid, we had a daily newspaper, and uh, people would kind of read it. They would spend, what, 10 or 15 minutes on the news, something like that. Uh, on television, The originally, the television news uh, from the networks was a 15-minute program at the end of the day, like Huntley Brinkley or Walter Cronkite, and those expanded to a half hour later. But starting, it was just 15 minutes of news. People were not getting inundated with news, and certainly were not getting inundated with politics and propaganda they were getting a very small amount of media input and uh, i think let's see we had well we had three television stations that we could actually watch three networks uh and they were all kind of telling the same story there was not a lot of diversity of narrative and um If you were a crazy kid like me, you would start like sucking up information from wherever you could find it. So I was like inundated. I got tons of stuff. But most people didn't. Most people didn't really know or care that much about what was going on. They didn't follow politics that closely. I mean, part of I think of the sickness of the moment is that we're so completely immersed in information and in politics i mean i know that there are people who watch political channels Supposed news cable news is really just political political like propaganda and they're watching that for three four hours a day that's a real different way of life than we had when I was growing up.
1: Constant agitation. I mean I just think Yeah it's yeah, driving have, us crazy. We have uh you know we have three Gutenberg revolutions before we finish breakfast. It feels like sometimes you know what I mean? Like okay well, now it's TikTok or now it's deepfakes. Now it's AI generated, you know whatever it is. Um and yeah I don't I don't think we have the capacity to deal with these tsunamis every moment, uh, especially when you're agitated, when you're precarious, when you don't have enough money, when you think something's gonna be taken away from you, and when you have people telling you that it's somebody else's fault, that your feeling of insecurity and precarity can be put on. I mean, this is the old method, you know, with uh, the old wine and a, new, and a new vessel and a new bottle, uh, blame the other rather than the real forces that are that are causing your stress uh you know do it on TikTok now uh do it on reddit do it on with the deepfake and verify your anger and make you feel the way you want to feel which is either righteous anger or i'm a victim or i know who to blame and i'm going to get them and so those machines that that can push our buttons went from the thing that was thrown on your doorstep in the morning or maybe fifteen minutes at night to every single minute of the day. and there there's no escape and you are agitated and ready to go from morning to night. and I think it's it's grinding us up and it's and we don't we don't we don't have the biological responses we don't have the cultural uh, you know um, resistance to this. We don't have the psychological resistance to this. It's it's too much for us, and I, you know, it's not fair and it's unfortunate because good people are being led to down
0: dark paths because of that. Yeah, I grew up in the same small town as John, and I got started. In, my career started in radio news in that small town, and it was definitely you know small market uh, AM radio, and I was the news delivering guy and i was told you will not talk about these certain subjects and that's the way that you know am radio news worked for a long time until fm came along and i i was liberated from am and went to public radio and uh the difference you know actually scrambled my brain a little bit i couldn't believe that people were actually allowed to express different views on the radio that would just wasn't happening in Texas mm. and uh, experienced the same thing. When the, you know, the internet came along, you know, you were able to do things that people weren't allowed to do before, but sometimes mm. it gets out of control. And then you have people doing things that really shouldn't be done <laughs> either in public or private, but you're getting it right in your face on the internet like this place, (laughs) you're you're getting this in your face on the internet right now. We've got a couple of minutes left, but how do you, what's your, your prognostication for the immediate future? You're a futures guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I rage against the, uh, the, uh, violence against the light. Maybe you you might say, um, the things I think are going to happen, things I want to happen are are very divergent at this point. Um, The things that I've tried to latch on to just to try to sort of wrap up, you know, end in a positive note. I've been talking about, I was kind of influenced by a lot of different factors over the years, but thinking about how do we, how do we resuscitate our our civic lives and our, and our collective purpose. And I've thought about um, called it the, the civic Trinity so, thinking about uh, our civic mind or brain, we need to know how our systems work. We need to have civics. We need to understand the, the basics of our institutions. And so there's a there's a there's a missing piece there, like we've lost it over the years. So that civic mind part how do, how do things work? Um and then there's uh, what um, uh, 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 a, 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 a kind of scholar activist that we had in our in a workshop um called civic muscle, and I've heard that metaphor come up a lot too, is is that you know voting every four years or you know, doing these things really is kind of it's not going to build your civic muscle. So are there are there places that we can participate in our public lives that actually that actually build, that are rewarded, that have a feedback loop that we're actually contributing to and build our muscles. So, you know, not just voting every four years, but how do we make our businesses a little bit more democratic? How do we make our churches a little bit more democratic? How do we make our sports team? what are the muscles that we can use to actually collectively make decisions together and feel that and and be strengthened by that? Also, you know, um, you know, we're coming up here, John, um, you know, and then finally like our civic heart, which is kind of the, the soft part, but as important as any of that, how do we have a love for each other and for a better future? And how do we cultivate that? So civic mind, civic muscle, and civic heart, if we have those two things, I think we're at least heading in the right direction for maybe a positive future. And that's, that's where I'm latching my my hopes on and latching my energy on to try to, to build out that part of it and, and resuscitate our society before we go over the cliff and have to learn the hard way, which is always the worst.
2: Man, I hate to end it here we were just getting rolling thanks Thanks. so
0: much yeah let's do it again thanks Jake that was a lot of good stuff it's going to take me a while to process all of this Uh, I didn't know I needed
1: to talk but I guess I needed to get that out but it felt good so thanks for the opportunity and the platform to just splurge uh, into
0: the ether thank you thank you right on okay well thanks so much and we'll see you soon aloha You can follow the Plutopia News Network at Plutopia.io. On Facebook, go to at Plutopia News. On Twitter, it's at Plutopia. With John Lepkoski, I'm Scoop Sweeney. This is the Plutopia News Network, 20 minutes into the future.